Today, I'm talking to Colleen Berry in Boston, Massachusetts, the CEO of Gibson Sotheby's International Realty, the premier real estate brokerage firm of Eastern Massachusetts. In 2001, post 9-11, Colleen was looking for a job, any job, just a job that would pay. As fate would have it, she landed a job answering calls in a real estate office, and that is what got her into real estate. Had you considered her experience, no real estate experience, to say she would become the CEO of the same firm would be as ridiculous as saying perhaps she was about to win the lottery. However, Colleen, with a great state of mind, honing in on opportunity and serving others, opportunity quickly harnessed her and led her from answering calls to marketing assistant director of productivity to being a real estate coach, to being the CEO of the same firm when she was hired just four years ago to take that role. At that time, Gibson Sotheby's International Realty had eight offices. Today, they have 24 offices and are growing. Colleen has never been a real estate agent, and yet she has been in the business for just over 20 years and grown hundreds of agents to greatness. Today, she and I talk about how she did it and how she does it. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today we have an incredibly special guest with some really great insights. Colleen Berry with Gibson Sotheby's International Realty, the CEO, by the way. Colleen, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jerry. I'm so excited about this. I am too. So everybody, just so you know, and then Colleen, we're gonna let you add on to this. Colleen, of course, CEO of Gibson Sotheby's International Realty. Uh, you were CEO of 24 offices across Gibson Sotheby's International Realty and almost 500 real estate agents. That's right. You cover the you cover Boston, Cape Cod, that's right. pretty much no, all of the Northeast. That's right. That's right. We have uh, we started out actually as three offices. We were a pretty small company and converted over to a Sotheby's franchise actually 15 years ago, uh, as of December first, I believe it was. So um, that it's been a long 15 year run. In the last three years, we've tripled the size of the company. So it's been a, it's been a wild ride thus far. So we're going to get to learn about not only perspectives of real estate agents from 50,000 feet high, but of running a business. First of all, like, where do we start? I think let's start with you tell us where to start in your story, but how did you land into this position you're into today? Because again, you've been with Gibson for 15 years. So did you start with three offices or did you help start before you were before Gibson? Yes, I was before Gibson. So I've actually been with the company for about 20 years now, believe it or not. Uh, and my, my story is kind of a funny one. Um, I, my first job with the company was after the dot-com bust. And 
Uh, I had just finished up a, a year long contract doing filmmaking work and, um, and there were just no jobs to be had. You know, it was after that whole crazy run of everybody getting, um, you know, high paying jobs and there were ping pong tables and bowling alleys inside the offices and there was free lunch and a massage parlor and everything else within the companies. And then it just all went kaput. And so there were really no jobs to be had. So I cobbled together three jobs. I was doing graphic design um, on an independent contractor basis. Uh, I was cooking pizzas in a, a local restaurant in the evenings. And then during the day, I took a job answering phones in the rental office of Gibson Domain Domain at the time, which would become Gibson Sotheby's. So my first job at the company was answering phones. And oh, I love it. So answering phones to CEO. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because um, I was just uh, I'm actually in chapter one of John Acuff's new book called Soundtracks. And if uh, for the agents who were at Level Up on the West Coast, that was one of the books. He was actually the first speaker of the, of the event. That was one of the books that that Rick Edler and, and the rest of the team gave us in that beautiful box of learning. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we talked about in that book is the fact that it was one of those moments where I thought, this is not where I want to be. <laughs> you know, like I was just in Cannes the year before showing yeah. a movie and now I'm sitting at a desk answering phones. And, but I really wanted to enjoy my day to day. I didn't want to be miserable. So yeah. uh, I decided to make it my job to be the best at customer service that I could be. And this was in 2001. This is 2002. Yep. Right in 2002. Yeah. So this is, you know, so you in that book, Sidetrack, Soundtracks, let's make sure what you're referring to is just a few months ago, that book was recommended at a Sotheby's convention. Yes. And that book is about, I've not read it yet, but I've heard yeah. about it. The soundtrack, the things you're playing in your head. That's exactly what it is. So take yeah. us back to 2002 and what were those things playing in your head and how did they transition? That's a good question. So, you know, I think in the beginning when I realized the, the pickle that I was in, you know, and there were a lot of us who were in that spot because we were in the middle of the beginning of a recession and um, things, you know, this is, of course, after 9-11, too. So they, I would say, generally speaking, the country was in a in a moment of shock. And I would say in the beginning of that experience where I'm cobbling together jobs, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you screwed up, you screwed up and you've taken yourself way off the track. And maybe you'll never get back on it. You know, this, it could be you just doing like, you know, small jobs forever. You just don't know. And I think, you know, I, I think back to that time and I see this today. Now we all kind of have faulty math in our heads. As a matter of fact, I've even heard it said that like, if you are stuck in your own head, you're behind enemy lines. And oh, the so reason is, is isn't it true though? Because the reason is there's a, there's a math problem that occurs, which is this experience I'm having right now in this moment, this is going to be forever. And what we all know to be true is that these are just moments. And, you know, the other line I heard years ago was if you're going through hell, keep going, don't stop. Don't and stop in hell. That's right. Don't stop in hell. This is not a place to take pictures and do sightseeing. Um, no. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So I started to think about my day differently. Like I would get up in the morning and I was living in Boston at the time. Now I'm in the, the suburbs um, and, uh, and I was living in Boston and I would walk to the phone answering job and I'm walking through this beautiful city and I would think to myself, God, I am so lucky to live here. You know, like this is, a, I did not grow up in, in 
Boston. I always wanted to move to Boston. But I was like, you know what? I just have to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm really lucky that I live in this beautiful city that I wanted to live in. And then when I would- Where did you grow up? I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut, which was when I, at the time I was growing up, it was a factory town. And the factories are closing down in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, that was- there was a time when manufacturing was really leaving the United States. So take so, us back to yeah. India. No, go ahead. I'm, no, walking to work. I'm so lucky I live here yep. in Boston. And then, yep. and then I would go into the office and I thought, let me make this place look great so that when the agents come in, they love being in here. When clients come in, they enjoy being in here. And uh, it got to the point where I was talking to one of the agents one day and I said, you know, I'd really love to like offer them something other than just cold water. And he said, oh, one of my clients works at Lavaza. He said he could get us like an espresso machine and stuff. And I was like, that'd be great. So I would offer people coffee or cappuccino or latte, something like that. And the idea was just relax, come in and enjoy yourself. And you would swear I'd offered them a spa day. I mean, it was really one of those moments where people just felt taken care of. And, you know, something I think that really, when I look back, I, you know, if I had been more introspective at the time, I could have figured out what my passion was, but I didn't realize it until much later. And I didn't think I had a passion because people would be like, well, you know, if you really love painting, then you should go into that. Or if you really love numbers, you should, I didn't have like one thing. I I like a lot of different things, but later on, I would realize that the thing that gives me the most joy is serving other people, is helping them. And yeah. so that was the beginning of it. Helping and serving people. So what was it walking to work every day that got you? What do you, because you weren't reading soundtrack back then, it wasn't out no. yet. What, what gave you the self-awareness? Was it just like, was there anything that triggered you to go, oh yeah, like perhaps I should be grateful for where I am right now? You know, I don't, I don't think I could have told you at the time, but here's what I know now um, that I've had long had an awareness that gratitude brings me joy. Um, I, again, I wouldn't have even been able to say that then I wouldn't have said, Oh, you know, what brings me joy is being grateful for things. But I do, I know that I had that kind of awareness that um, I had been very lucky in a lot of ways. Um, in that I had been given opportunities. And I think um, the other lucky piece is that I was gutsy enough to say yes to things when mm. there were parts of me saying, what are you crazy? Don't do that. <laughs> and instead I listened to the other person in my head who was saying, this will be fun. You have to try it. Let's go do it. So, you know, I had, I had some luck that way that I had opportunities and I had enough guts to go and try. And, um, and so, you know, then I would land in these places, you know, and, and be like, wow, this is, I'm just so fortunate to be around the people I'm around and to be in the environment that I'm in. This, just this business, especially again, this isn't a Sotheby's commercial, even though we're both with Sotheby's, but Sotheby's really helps that environment. But this business, I mean, it just, you like meet people you would never met before. 100%. Everybody ends up somehow in this business, whether they're in this business as, a, as an individual acting as an agent, or they're in the company, or they're a client, or they're a member of the community that we're in. We're all, we touch a lot of people. It's a pretty special, special uh, part of that business, I think, is the, is the people, you know, part of it. And the network is that way too. You know, we're so fortunate. We've got such good friends within it. So you go, so, so now you're 
still answering phones, but you're mm -hmm. going and picking up coffee and yep. thinking of things you can do to go the extra mile. So at what point did those, you changed inside, changed your thought process, you changed your mindset, you, you found a place, of, you were in your place of gratitude, that changed your actions. And then obviously everything's going beautifully in your current job, but how did that transpire to the next steps? Well, and I, I think part of what happened for me is that, you know, you start trying out different things. So, you know, we started with coffee, just making it in a nice environment for people. Mm -hmm. And then um, I said yes to another opportunity, which was one of the agents said, I've got a, a development that I'm going after and I need a brochure and I kind of want something cool and fresh looking. And, and I was had a graphic design background. So I said, I can probably make something for you. And we made a really cool brochure and they were so excited that they said, will you come work in marketing? And I said, I could work in marketing. And that was part-time and and then it was full time. And then the marketing manager left and I became the marketing manager of two people. I mean, it was me and one other person. <laughs> and then we started to grow. And then Larry and Paul bought the company and converted us to a Sotheby's franchise and it just grew and grew. So I was the marketing director uh, until about, I think it was oh nine or 10. Um, I got recruited to go work for another company and really disliked the experience. And it was because I wasn't, I wasn't really interacting with people on a regular basis. And I love yeah. people. So that changed everything. And, um, and so I started consulting instead, I left there and I started consulting for real estate agents, you know, business coaching and marketing stuff. I started doing it for small real estate companies. And then my old bosses, Larry and Paul called me back and we had lunch and they said, uh, would like, we think you should start business coaching, like, like sales coaching. And I said, I've never sold anything in my life. And they said, great. Do you want to wait till Monday or do you want to start tomorrow? <laughs> and so we started this director of productivity program, which was, it did not exist. We made up the title. Um, but what we were taking at that point is uh, the experience that I had had in marketing, which I ended up doing business coaching just because you were trying to do, you had to develop a marketing plan. Otherwise someone would say, you know, I really want to get some marketing out there. I'd say, okay, what do you want it to say? I don't know. Who do you want to send it to? I have no idea. <laughs> so then we right. we'd say, let's create funny? a marketing plan. I know it's so normal. You know yeah. that you need to do this thing. You just don't know exactly what strategy to put behind it. Like, what are your long-term goals? And so that was the next step. It was helping people develop goals and pursue those goals. And it was so successful that we, we grew that program. And then over time, eventually, uh, I was asked to take on this role as CEO and we've been growing the company since, but I think a big part of my job today is still trying to make sure that agents can get to the goals that they want to get to. Wow. And 450, close to 500 of them. So director of productivity, that was, you became, so 2002, you're answering phones, receptionist, yep. you become really good at it. And then you did a little marketing and then you became yep. the director of marketing and then you were a consultant. And then yep. Larry and Paul said, no, you need to come back. And you're basically kind of like, all of a sudden you agreed, I'm going to be the director of productivity. And that was what year? And that was probably 2010 or 11. Mm -hmm. 2010, 11, your director of productivity. Yep. And then that evolved into what year CEO? Yeah. So CEO, I took that role over about three and a half, four years ago. Wow. And so three offices, 
Yeah. And now 24 offices. So how did that align with your transition into CEO today? Good question. So um, when I took over as CEO, we had, I believe it was eight offices at the time. And, uh, and over the last several years, we've done a number of things. We've done some office startups, you know, where it's just, it's leasing out the space, building it out, and then, um, and then inviting people to join you there. So that's one way we've grown. Um, and then another way that we've grown, obviously, is through organic referrals and recruits. So people coming in and joining us uh, because they hear wonderful things about us. And then the last way is through um, acquisitions. So we've done a number of acquisitions over the years. And that's a totally different animal. That's really, you know, you're trying to figure out. Uh, it's actually the same questions you're asking yourself that you do when an agent wants to join. And it's, yeah. can we help them grow? Can they help us grow? And is it a similar culture? And if you say no to any of those things, it's probably not going to work because you can't really solve those. So those are the three things that I ask myself, whether it's an agent or a company. And, um, and no matter what, when someone joins you, whether it's through a company or they're coming on their own, it's our, you know, the first thing is I have to, I have to earn their trust because oh. we can't, we can't really do much after that, you know, unless we're doing that. It's the same thing when you're working with a new client, Jerry, you so, know, if you think about uh, it. So you ask yourself three questions and everybody aligning this to being a real estate agent is as real estate agents, we're running a business. Yes. I'm just fascinated with this in general. So I have to be careful not to be too selfish, but, <laughs> but in running a business, it's the same thing working with other people, working with other agents, even as an agent deciding what company you're going to be with. Yes. Asking yourself the right questions and the three, and that's been kind of the whole time you've been talking, I'm like, hmm, this is really about asking the right questions. But in this instance, it's can I can we help them? Yep. They help us. Yes. And do we have an aligned culture? Yes. Yeah. And how do I make sure I earn their trust? Yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, part of the reason it's important to ask those questions, and, and I, I do a lot of, um, we'll call it mentoring. I mean, there I have uh, some people I work with where I'm, it's more of a pronounced mentorship. And then there are others where it's more ad hoc. It's like, hey, listen, I got a question. Can I run something by you? One of the, the questions that comes up a lot is I've got a difficult decision to make in one way or another in my life. How do I figure out what to do? And I am usually trying to help them sort through the emotional fog, because as we all know, let's say a good example would be, Jerry, you might be interviewing someone to come on your team and you really, really, really like them, mm-hmm. but, but you don't know if it's the right fit. Mm-hmm. And the, the really like them piece or the enjoy being around them piece can sometimes get in the way of the fact that they are not actually going to align well with your business model. And so that's where asking those kinds of questions can help you sort through the emotional element so that you don't naturally make a mistake because you're just excited about somebody. uh, We real estate agents get really excited about everything. We all do. We're people people. You know, we love people. So being someone who's been so heavily involved in such a contributor to our industry of being real estate agents and selling real estate, real estate brokerage. You've still got this unique perspective of you really, you've really closely watched and engaged with these roles with many real estate agents over 20 years. Yeah. In watching real estate agents, what would you say is the, and this is also in companies, teams, everything, but let's start 
wherever you want to. I'm thinking real estate agents. What is the common denominator of those who make it and those who don't? And can you tell the difference in how soon? Oh, that's a good question. So I think there are a couple of things. I, I think, first of all, if you go into this business with a lot of fear, you're going to really struggle. Um, and I think that's because it's going to prevent you from taking advantage of opportunities. So, and, and by the way, if you do have fear, that's okay, but there are ways to get past that. You know, you can go through and educate yourself. You can go shadow people, which means just saying, how can I help? I'm willing to help. I might be willing to do it without pay. I really want to learn because then that helps you build your confidence up. Um, but I think generally speaking, those who succeed are coming at it. And, and you and I have talked about this before from a perspective of contribution, they want to help other people. That is what they get excited about. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they someone who they're excited about the fact that like, listen, I've got something I can bring to the table. I can help you make this decision better. I can help you gather the information so that you feel like you're making a sound decision. Um, they think about their client relationships as not a transaction. This is, this is someone I want to advise for years to come. Yeah. And so I think people who come at it from contribution tend to succeed and have a sustainable business. The people but, who come, we keep going. Or no, contribution, it's a mindset of contribution, but in that understanding, looking at, looking at opportunities as how can I help this person not what's in it for me, even though we all naturally do that, yep. most of us, but coming from a place of contribution and how can I help this person and understanding what you actually have to offer them. Yes. And in doing that understanding, it's about the relationship. The focus isn't on the deal. The focus is on the relationship right. and what you cultivate in the long term. Yep. Now, I find that there are so many people that are just that way, and they are often the most successful real estate agents. I also find there are people who just can't wrap their heads around it. Yes. And why do you think that is? What's the difference? What are they missing? How do you? I I think that's a really good question. I think there are some people who, uh, I think there could be a lot of things that could be contributing to it candidly. Um, I think some of this goes back to another topic that you and I discussed, which is programming. You know, we're programmed, um, each one of us from the moment we were born until this moment that you're listening to this podcast, you have been every single day, you're receiving messages from people. Some of them are intentional, you know, it might be the values that your parents wanted to give you or, um, or important lessons that you were given at school. A lot of it is unintentional. Um, and a lot of it is kind of without your knowledge. And one of the, the important things to be thinking about is how do I feel about money? How do I feel about work? And I'll give you a good example. Um, I love my parents dearly. I think they did so many wonderful things for us. Um, I think one of the things growing up in our families and um, coming from where I came from was that there was a negative connotation to making lots of money. It was, you're supposed to basically make enough for you to be able to survive, send your kid to school, go on some vacations, and that's about it. Anything beyond that is, is um, greed. Mm. And, and so that I had that programming in my head. Um, I also had programming that told me that business leaders were greedy people. <laughs> and that really had a negative effect on me. Like, I didn't want to be a business leader. That was never something I was interested in doing. And over time, what I started to realize was, geez, 
all this stuff is incorrect. And it's, I understand where it's coming from, but it's, it's incorrect. So I think, you know, if, if someone is struggling and they're saying, we, I can't figure out how to get my mind around a different philosophy in business. I think the first step is trying to figure out how did you get the one you have now? <laughs> how yeah. did that philosophy occur? Yeah. And for you, so for you, how did, how did you do that? So I think, well, I know that there are a number of things that, that played into that. Some of it was learning about or from business leaders who were doing it differently. And some of that would come from, you know, before podcasts, it was radio interviews um, mm -hmm. or reading books. Um, and then podcasts were helpful after that. Um, like when I took on the director of productivity role, I read in a, about a two and a half year span, about a hundred books. I took a number of classes. Um, I was doing everything I could to try to earn the bona fides that would make me feel confident about, about coaching people, about really helping them. And, um, and so I, I, you know, that was a big piece of it, but a huge piece that cannot be uh, discounted in any way is mentorship. And I've been extremely fortunate to have good mentors in my life. Some of them know their mentors and others don't. I'm just watching them closely and learning from what they do. And I will occasionally ask advice. They may not even realize I consider them to be a mentor, but you know, one of them is Larry Rideout. He is uh, one of the owners of our company. He and I have worked side by side for a long time, 15 years. And, uh, and I watched his, he leads with his heart, you know, and, uh, and leads with generosity. And I think that, that became one of those moments where I was like, I can model that, you know, yeah. that that's comfortable for me to model that that's actually inspiring. That's exciting. That's when I was like, Hey, I think I want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not something I ever would have wanted before. You're answering a question right there, because as you're saying this, I'm thinking, okay, so you didn't aspire to even be a leader because that would be greedy or not really a great thing, but you still wanted to learn. And what motivated the wanting in the learning led you to realize being a leader was maybe your place? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, well, there were a couple of things that landed me in, in, le in leadership roles. Some of it is that learning. And I will say I am an extremely curious person. Uh, my wife will tell you I am not nosy. <laughs> It's funny because she always wants to know the scoop on something. And I don't really, I'm like, eh, I don't really want to know that. I've learned right. that I can't unlearn Yeah, things. but what can I do with that? But That's what can right. I do with that? I can't get anywhere with that. No, no, but I'm really curious. So if I see, um, if I see that somebody's accomplishing something, I'm like, Ooh, how are you doing that? Or even just looking at how something is built, you know, like I, I have a lot of interesting hobbies and uh, the one I picked up during COVID was repairing stringed instruments. Like I've played guitar for like 30 something years. So I started repairing stringed instruments and that came from, Hey, how would you repair that? I saw somebody repair that. How would you do that? Or how is that built? Yeah. And then just voraciously going at it. So some of it comes from learning, I think. Um, but I think there's it was a, your passion for learning yeah. that led you to be a leader, but you think that it was, there's another piece and that is that uh, over time, for reasons that aren't totally clear to me, people have tapped me for leadership positions. So a great example would be, I lived in a condominium building years ago and I was contributing to something and they were like, will you please be the president of that piece of the organization? I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute, no, 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 I just had an idea. 
And, um, and it even, it's even happened in jury duty. I've served twice on juries and twice have been the foreperson. Like the best leaders don't want to be the leader. I guess. I suppose. I I don't know what it is. I think I pay attention. That's part of it. People are like, she seemed like she was paying attention. (laughs) Maybe we should make her it. (laughs) Like everybody has core values. I've talked about this a little bit, but yours are learning and serving people. Yes. And when you're learning, they know you're paying attention so they can trust you and you earn. You also earn. So you're earning trust, you're learning and you're serving. So what better person? I suppose. I suppose it's, um, you earn the trust and you're not earning, you're not even thinking about earning the money. You're earning the trust. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about it that way. It's funny, but I think that probably has something to do with it. Well, you're asking the questions. And that's another thing you ask really good questions. Well, thank you. And then that leads to what, you know, so this all started with the question, what is the common denominator of the agents who make it? And it, it actually, I wrote it down and I would repeat it, except I'm losing my Yeah, life. So a big piece help. is contribution. It's yeah. a big piece of it is understanding exactly. that. But I help think another help. piece is also, and this I'm sure is the case for you, is that they are clear about what their goals are. Mm. I think, you know, one big problem that I think a lot of people have, and this is certainly not restricted to real estate agents, is mm. that they don't know where they're trying to go. And if you think oh, about think yeah. about this analogy, imagine we got into a car together and uh, and we're sitting there. It's like, what do we do next? Well, we start the car. Okay. And then what do we do? We'll put our seatbelt on. Well, now what do we do? Well, we're going to go. Where are we going? I don't know. Well, then how, why would we even start moving if we don't know what we're trying to get to? And I think a big piece of life is trying to understand where you're going. It doesn't mean you can't change the idea. But if you're going to make any momentum, take any direction, which one is it going to be? Where are you trying to go? And I think, you know, that one of the first things I learned when I started that director of productivity role is we have to be really clear about what we want to accomplish. And mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, my, my good friend, I mean, we've become such good friends. We've been coaching together, working together for 10 years. Her name is Kyle Kagan, and she is um, a really fantastic real estate agent in Boston. Uh, Kyle and I started working together. And I remember at one point she said, I've got kind of an outrageous goal for next year. And I said, say it. And she was like, I don't know. I feel, feels weird to even say, I said, come on, say it. So she wrote it down on a piece of paper, what she wanted to make. And it was like double what she had made the year before. So it was audacious. And at the end of the year, when we pulled that piece of paper off out of, you know, from underneath that little spot where she had it hidden, she was $3,000 off. That's it. Wow. And all of a sudden we both were kind of like, like, you know, handshaking, like, oh my God. Yeah. So it, I, we, I think we pro we essentially decided to program her brain and her brain is a GPS and she just locked on that location and she went to it and we've continued to work together and she's built a team. She's doing six times the amount of business she was doing when we started working together And um, she actually just texted me last night and she said, it just dawned on me. You are my Ted Lasso. (laughs) And I I just, that was like a huge compliment to me. You know, I just, and I love working with her. I get, I think I get more excited than she does half the time when she hits a goal. I was about to say one of the big things and I found my Nate. So the successful agents are focused on helping others. They know what they have to offer and the focus is on the relationship. But in that focus, we just added on to that, know your goals. Yes. That what I'm picking up on from you is 
your success is you get just as excited about helping other people. And what if real, when real estate agents get that excited about helping their clients, yes, that's where that traction happens. You gotta be what you're doing beyond just even being number one, getting excited and how looking at your success and your traction and getting excited for agents and as agents, us getting excited for our clients. So the common denominator of that and success. 100%. And I'll tell you something that is my job enjoyment is being excited about somebody else's successes. And that's included for employees because we have 50 employees. So what I try to find for them too, is what are their paths to reaching their goals? Like, how, how do they do that? What skills do they want to take on? Because as far as I'm concerned, life is just skill acquisition. You know, when you're a baby and you're born, all you know how to do is eat and, and then, you know, sleep. And that's pretty much it, you know, with the exception, the exception of a couple of other things, but, you know, even learning to make your bed, that's a skill, that's a skill to be learned. Tying your shoes is a skill. Everything after that is skill. And I have- I have your quote. Keep going. And yeah. And so the reality is like, you know, let's just keep acquiring new skills. So I always try to figure out from people like what skills do you want to acquire? And I've heard people before say, well, I just can't do that. I can't, you know, the common one, I can't draw. I, I don't, I can't, I've tried before. I bet you I could teach you how to draw. You know, it's just a skill to be acquired. That's all. Okay, it's so not like it. a special God-given talent. <laughs> I just drew like whatever. We'll do it. And, um, and so I think that brings me joy. And when I find that agents are really, really engaged in their business, the joy of what their clients experience at the end is a huge reward, huge reward. And, you know, and it's even to the point that sometimes people are like, I can't believe people are paying me to do this. It's <laughs> you know? a question for you. There's so much focus in our business on, and, and not that it's bad or wrong, but listening to you, there is an, 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 whatever it is, there's an incredible amount of focus on how much have you sold? What are you ranked? What have you done? How many have you sold? What is your volume? Yeah. And, but then on the other end, it's like our industry is so honed in on that because that's measuring results. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I find like, even as an agent, I was miserable for so many years because that was, I was like, I just, that's just not fulfilling me. Like right. I'm like that is just stressful. Yep. And how do you manage that? Do you have agents having, right? Like how do you I, so here's, here's one of the things we've done to pivot it. And this is a mindset shift. And there are some ways to do this. And I'll tell you, even on mindset shifts, every day I write two words that, uh, that describe, or a few words that describe how I want to behave that day. What do I want to accomplish? So like, for instance, today, and I've been writing this down for like the last, you know, several days, I wrote warm and smart. That's the person I want to be. I want to be warm and I want to be smart. And so those are the, my two goals, right? Um, and for a while I was writing purposefully outperform, which was a phrase I heard Matthew Ferrara say, and he's, uh, now he's one of my mentors without knowing it. If he listens to this podcast, oh, unfortunately, he's going to discover that. But um, so, you know, some of it's in a mindset shift. And one of the ways to do that when you're business planning, which is what a lot of people are starting to do this time of the year as we head into the holidays, is rather than writing down the number of transactions you want to do, why don't you write down the number of people you want to help? Because that changes the dynamic in your brain. You're not thinking now about these are transactions. This is a deal. How many deals do you want to do? Or how many houses do you want to sell? It's how many people are you going to help get to their goals? 
And I think I love that. Yeah. Simple, right? Little simple thing to do. So I don't think it has to be grand gestures. I think there are little ways that we can sort of change the change the game just a little bit for ourselves, change what the goalpost looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, how fulfilling you're pursuing people to help, yep. not deals to do. You know, one of my other lovely colleagues who I adore, Max Dublin out of our Cambridge office, he is the kind of guy who will make phone calls to people. And a lot of agents are afraid of the phone, which is really interesting. They're like, I don't want to call them. What if I'm interrupting them? You know, it comes from this. I don't want to be a bother to somebody. There's all this texting now everybody wants to do. That's right. It's so um, risk free. You know mm. what I mean? Like they can answer it later, all this stuff. But so Max over the years, he was really great at staying in touch. And I said, how do you do that? Like you, you've got that. You have like no fear. He said, oh, no, no, I have fear. <laughs> He said, but I, I tell myself, myself something before I start making those calls every time. I say, I just want to help one more person today. And I thought, oh my God, how could you not pick up the phone if that's your goal? Like, it's such a beautiful thing to do. So like, I, I think there's little ways. That like makes me like seriously want to cry. Like how ridiculous right? is that? But it really is like, how many more people do I want to help today? And then it's- right. Love. Then you're driven by a wonderful thing. And again, this goes back to my mentor, Larry, leading with his heart. You know, no one will ever accuse Larry of not being an emotional leader. Uh, he always teases that he would cry at a well-written menu. And this is a guy who's built like a linebacker. <laughs> and you gotta love that. But he leads with his heart there, you know, very early on when I started to get involved more in the business of the business. I would see him make decisions that I was like, oh, well, that's going to cost us money and that's not going to make us money. But he was like, this is so important to help this person. Like we have to help this person. That matters more to him. And so I think that desire to help others really can drive a very successful, obviously a very successful business. I mean, we will sell probably almost $4 billion worth of real estate this year. Oh, that's incredible. And, but the goal again is like we have, our agents are our clients. We want to help our clients. And, and I think if we come at it from that perspective, only good things can come of it. So two questions. I want to talk about helping lots of people at a time as a CEO, yeah. but before I go there, I don't want to lose that. But before I go there, let's talk about Larry and leadership just for a minute, because you had said, you talked about, and I want to tell everybody the quote I have for you. I've come up with it, even though, because this is really what you're saying life is skill acquisition so be aware and careful of your programming yes absolutely. absolutely and in that pro and in that acquiring your skills and in that quote programming or deprogramming you were a person who wanted to learn you were fulfilled naturally by learning and serving yep. and and enjoying gratitude yes in doing that but being a leader would be almost shameful so then you've got this Larry guy or what, at what point did you pivot? Is there a moment where you were like, oh, oh, wait a minute, I was wrong. Or what happened? I, that's, I don't know that there was a, a moment that I could pinpoint. Um, and honestly, it was probably one of those moments where I happened to overhear or be in the room when the decision was being made that did not make good business sense, but really helped somebody. Um, and, and I think, you know, Larry is one of those people, I don't want to turn this into like a Larry admiration show, but it's probably going to turn into one anyways. But well, I think what you get out of your mentors, we won't yeah. even tag Larry. He'll never know. 
Yeah. He's, he is uh, one of those people who is constantly trying to learn, you know, he, he's a seeker. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and if he's got a great, there's a great, uh, little video, uh, biography out there about him. It's like a few minutes long. Um, it was one of those evoker videos and in there, he says, you know, he went to college and he, and he wasn't mature enough to finish. Um, but what didn't happen is he didn't stop that learning process. He just sort of started it <laughs> at that point. It was like, he left college and then he went out to the world to start to learn. And, um, and, you know, his, his grandfather had been a businessman and had failed, but not by his own doing. It was because of the Great Depression. And, uh, and you know, Larry came into this business and Paul, his business partner, Paul McGann, who's a great guy. And right after sinking all their money into the company, the 08 crisis hit. And it was uh, like they that put, had to really mess, oh. especially after like the history with this. I mean, that's just. Oh, I mean, come on. It was like. I, I'm sure to him, it felt like his grandfather, just that cycle happening again. Yeah. And, but what happened was the agents came to him and said, Hey, hold my checks. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can skate through for a while. Let's, we can get through this. And wow. so there were, there was all kinds of stuff happening. I think it, you know, that speaks to who those guys are, because let's face it, when everybody's hitting a crisis, the fact that there were people standing up and saying, Hey, listen, I don't need to be paid right now. Wow. <laughs> it says a lot. Um, but you know, I think a lot of that was because of how Larry and Paul treat people and they treat they, this is our family. You know, there's the family you're born into and then there's the family you choose. And so that's what these guys have done. It's pretty amazing. It really wow. is. Yep. So in your personal world, you kind of answered it, but you didn't give us any moments or epiphanies or your own, yeah. like your own soundtrack. To the, the shift in leadership or my maybe, thought about leadership. Maybe it was so slow. It was this kind of like programming. It was so I, slow. It was just, it, you know, it's funny. There was one thing that happened at one point and this, this, I feel like was a contributor. And that was that condominium building. We had a, there was a space that the developer had intended to turn into an art gallery because the building was about half artists. And, um, and he died of a heart attack at 49 before the build, the building was completed. And so there was some work that wasn't done. And part of that was making sure that, that the gallery was a 501c3. Otherwise it gets taxed to the entire association as very expensive retail space mm. and that we couldn't rent out <laughs> yeah. and, and it wouldn't have been able to be used if we rented it out. So uh, I got nominated to lead a group to become a 501c3, right? And, uh, and so, and we got that done and it now today is still being used as an art gallery for people. Um, it's a beautiful space to, to be able to show your work. And, you know, especially when you're not yet represented by a big gallery or something, it's an opportunity space for people. Um, and I do think that there were a number of these little moments where I started to see that if you tried to help, you could have a really positive effect. And that felt good. Like I actually kind of believe that there is no such thing as altruism, that when we're helping other people, we're helping ourselves. Oh, so, for sure. Yeah. But, so I think that was sort of the beginning of under, starting to understand what that meant to me. Well, as a leader, you have the power to help a lot more yes. than you would otherwise. As someone who is a contributor to things and gets to the, the, just more power to do more good things. That's right. That it just brings up the scale. 
That's all it does. It turns up the volume a little bit. Which is a great pivoter into, you were talking about like on the CEO level, we talked about agents and what makes us successful and the mindset, but there are a lot of agents that we always hear like, be your own CEO or be a, you're a CEO. And then you actually are a CEO of 24. I've said this a few times, but everybody, just in case you missed it, 24 offices with all of the Gibson Sotheby's international realty Mm -hmm. offices, 24. Yes. and almost 500 real estate agents and over 50 employees yeah that's a lot of people it is so how do you you've got this fifty thousand foot view how do you touch people the right way how do you know how to best allocate your time how do you best lead in that kind of position yeah i'll tell you when i figure it out we'll do it we'll do a part two <laughs> no i mean i think um you know, what starts to happen, and this happens for a real estate agent when they start to build a team too, which I know you have a team. So you've already mm-hmm. experienced, started to experience this, which is you start to uh, empower, I think of leadership as really just empowering those around you, right? So the, my, my two jobs as a leader are empower people to, to hit, hit their potential. And then the second one is my job title should also be chief obstacle remover because I have the power to be able to remove obstacles so that they can get their jobs done. And so a lot of, I think what starts to happen is um, you still do one-to-one stuff with people, but you can only do so much of that. What you can do is empower the people who you work with to help those people. So I'm not doing this by myself. Dear God, no, I could never do that. You know, we've got a ton of people who are Mm -hmm. everything from on the front lines as office marketing coordinators doing incredible work to their managers or their directors or their vice presidents. These are all, you know, other, other uh, chief level executives. These are all people who are really charged with helping everybody within the organization. So if we all are doing that, then we're all touching, you know, and then it's a matter of how can you scale that so that you've got sort of a hive mind, I call it, you know, where when one person learns something, we all learn it. And so mm. we use we use software to do that. It's project management software. You know, some people use Slack. We use Monday.com. So and it just Monday.com. Monday.com. It's a tool that allows us to at each other. So if I learn something about, you know, let's say somebody is really struggling, an agent, and this happens, you know, and I run into them and I can see that they're just down in the dumps and they're just having a hard time turning it around. I can at their office director, at the office marketing coordinator, at other, other people and say, hey, guys, she's really struggling right now. Is there anything that you could think of that we could do to help her? Can we set up regular meetings to kind of get her back on track? Yeah. And that way, it's not information that comes to me and then dies with me. It's information that gets passed through to the people who are empowered to help her. And so that's the way we're built. So empowering people is funny because... It's one of my big things, hence this podcast. But empowering people is an interesting thing because you can, that's a loaded word. You can can empower someone, but they don't know what to do with what you give them. Yes. So you got to, you got to empower the right people the right way. Yes. I think some of that is in also setting the course. So if you think about it this way, this goes back to the goal setting thing, right? Where are we trying to go? What are we trying to accomplish? And so some of that can be done with a mission, you know, really clearly so that it's very clear that they are there to help the agents to be as successful as they can be and to make it a joyful work environment. So that makes some decisions easy for them. 
But sometimes it's more like, hey, listen, we're trying to build into this market or we're trying to develop a new tool that's gonna to help people, or we're trying to help people engage with a tool that's been very successful. So now that we've set the course, now empower them to do so. And that might be, what resources do you need to get this done? Mm-hmm. Or what's in the way? Again, what are the obstacles? What can I get out of your way? What's in the way? That's right. Okay, so here's a question. Yes. What's in the way? So when things aren't going so great, yes. sometimes is it because there's something in the way? It can be, yeah. And how do you know, not to trick question you, these are, but so how do you, how do you identify what's in the way and then how do you diffuse or get rid of it? Yeah, that's a good question. It's interesting because things always do pop up in the way. Mm -hmm. It's always something. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, an analogy. So the good analogy, a good analogy going back to the car is, you know, you're trying to drive to go out to have lunch with a friend of yours, and then you get to a roadblock. You know, we're working on the road here, detour. Well, you don't just sit there and wait until the roadblock gets removed. You try to find another path, you know, otherwise you'd starve. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you have to go find another path. And so sometimes there's just a different path and we have to learn to be adaptable. And I think that's something that is actually increasing over time because the speed of change is so much faster than it used to be. So we have to be ready to to adapt. Don't get too married to the course, get more married to what the outcome is that you're trying to achieve. That's one thing. But the second thing is sometimes there really is something in the way. And I will almost always guarantee that it's yourself. (laughs) You know, we are our own worst enemies, you know, whether it's because our programming says we don't deserve to get somewhere or we're afraid of what it's going to be like when we get there or, uh, what have you, that's a big common one. Um, and other times you maybe are not surrounded by the people you should. There's a great line uh, that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So if you find that like you're not really being supported by those around you, you may want to find some partners that you can talk to on a regular basis. Maybe they're within the network, could be in other marketplaces or they could be friends, or maybe there's a, a local like chamber organization or, or a rotary, rotary club or something like that, where you can find other people who are trying to achieve and you guys can be there for each other. So basically look at the path, Simon Sinek. We didn't talk yeah. about this, but you love him. Have you seen his video love about that. the path? Yes. Yes. Right. Like, not the trees, the path, and suddenly it opens up. Number two, what's in the way is usually look at you first. Yep. And number three people and the biggest thing because it's like that could be a loaded conversation in of itself but with the people it sounds like number one look at who you're aligned with and spending most of your time with Mm -hmm. and i'm going to quote jordan peterson but he says make friends with the people who want what's best for you that's right and look at who's around you and are they aligning back to back to where you started when you look at joining a company what do i have to offer them what do they have to offer me and do our cultures align Yep. It's interesting because I'm in the process of, I I wrote a a very small book. I almost call it a pamphlet. It's like 50 pages long about, um, it's really about business planning or setting goals and achieving them. And I'm in the process right now of writing another book. And one of the, one of the, the pieces of the book is about the people in your life who love you will sometimes try to stop you from going after your goals. And it's not because they don't love you. It's not because they don't think you're worthy or capable or anything like that they're afraid. And sometimes they're afraid you're going to get hurt. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they're afraid that you're going to leave them behind. (laughs) 
So, you know, right. we have to kind of think about those things. I, I remember there was a young man who I met years ago. He was at Harvard Business School. He had developed an app. He was doing all this amazing stuff. He's just a, a, a brilliant data analyst, really. He would do data modeling. And, uh, and he, at one point, was telling his mother about this risk he wanted to take. And she tried to stop him from going after his dream. And he was like, I don't understand. I said, it's be- I, and at the time, I had a newborn son. I said, she is so afraid you're going to get hurt. She loves you dearly and thinks you walk on water. But she is so afraid you're going to get hurt. He's still and her baby. That's yeah. right. He'll always be her baby. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. All right. We're going to do the final three on okay. the show. Okay. But before I do that, what is a, do you have a story in all of this in your career? You gave us some great stories in the beginning, but any final stories you might leave us with on finding that path, seeing yourself in the way and the people around you and making sure that's right where it's supposed to be? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I think I'll tell you one story that I think is helpful for people, for, for people to hear. And that is when I first took this role over as CEO, I thought I had to do everything differently. Um, so I started really just spending a lot of time with spreadsheets and digging into the numbers and, you know, going into the back end and really trying to do all this analysis. And I would say I was probably a few months in and I was miserable. And I was like, they chose the wrong person. I'm terrible at this. I don't know what I'm doing. This was a terrible decision on their part. What a mistake they made. And then I realized it's because I wasn't around people anymore. You know, back to what are the days that bring me the most joy? It's when I'm around people and I've helped people. And so when I said, you know, wait a minute, they tapped me for this role for a reason. It wasn't because they wanted me to be somebody else. And so I really started to lean into what is important to me and what brings me joy. And I think that's when I really emerged and started to blossom in the role. And so I think sometimes we think we need to make some huge change to who we are in order to reach another level. I'm not convinced that's the case. I think you can parlay the skills and the strengths that you have that have gotten you to where you are and use those to get to the next level. So that was, that was one of those realization moments where you know, I thought, why, why would I have thought that? And again, I think this is the programming I had. I had this idea that, well, when you hit that level, this is the job you got to do. You got to yeah. be in the numbers and that's the only thing you're going to look at. And it was a real mistake. I think it was when, when I really started to lean back into who I am and lean back into being around people and caring about them and trying to help them that it was, you know, the enjoyment came right back. And instantly people were saying, you know, I was getting thank you notes. Thanks so much for talking me through that. Thanks so much for your help with this. And I was like, okay, so that, that was what now I was you're, doing. Now you're doing your job. Now That's you're doing right. what you're, you're fulfilling, what you're good at and your, your good stuff, your best, you know, how am I helping people? How are they helping me with me, with me and aligning? Yep. We've got all these three things. The show notes are going to be fun on this one. <laughs> Final three, number one. Actually, I've got to remember what they are. I used to have them all written down and organized. And I've been doing so many of these, but or been, this show is now, I can't even believe about five years old. That's Two, amazing. About episode 250. Congratulations. Thanks. So question number one is going to, is we always have these, I swear I might even have to edit is, oh yes, I remember now. Sorry, everybody. Resource. What is your greatest resource for success in your business? Would you say? Oh, my greatest resource for success would have to come from modeling after others. 
So what I mean by that is rather than trying to develop success on my own, I try to look for good examples of people who have done it well and then copy them. I'm a great copier. I steal from the best in the world. I am not brilliant, but I know brilliant people. (laughs) That's the key. Just recognize it. Absolutely. So I just embrace it. If I see a really great example of how somebody has succeeded and they've done well and it's, it's, you know, affected people in a really positive way, then I, I steal that idea. So I guess maybe it's, you know, we, we might say we look at it as a resource. I just steal, <laughs> steal good ideas. You, you, you learn from others and you do that by listening to yourself and listening to others. Yep. Definitely. I wrote that down at the beginning and I didn't say it and you just brought it right back home. See that full circle, full Mm -hmm. circle. Question two, if there's a book that you would say has changed your life and you, we've got to read it, whether it's life or career or both, what is it? I think the one that I would have to say at this moment is a book called um, Start, Punch Fear in the Face. Oh, I like the subtitle. It's so good. It was written by John Acuff, who ended up being the one who interviewed me for soundtracks. And uh, John is a is a great writer. He's a really interesting guy. He's a wonderful speaker, too. Um, But it's all about kind of stopping those thoughts that have prevented you from taking that big leap or really putting your effort in. It's like, really, you just have to get started. And uh, what's really interesting to me is over the years, I've known some wonderful, really bright people who haven't started on their goal because things weren't perfect yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, well, if I'm going to go to travel to Europe, I need to have like three weeks off and I'm going to have to have $10,000. No, just get your damn passport, get that ticket and go now. Like, don't wait. And so I think that book for me was pivotal. When I read that, it started to make a lot of sense about what was holding people back. Mm. And I think that really helped in terms of coaching. I need that book. It's so I need them all. It's so good. What is your book, by the way? You did, you're writing one now. You didn't give us the name of your book. What is the name of your book? So the first book that I wrote was called There Is No Such Thing as Luck. And um, I'll send you a link. Actually, I'll send you some copies. Uh, if any, if hey. anybody listening to this podcast wants a copy of the book, you just email Jerry and, uh, and her team and I'll make sure that I get that the hey. number of copies over. But um, it's just a 50 page book about identifying your goals and, uh, and how to go after them and create opportunity for yourself. And it's, uh, it's specifically really geared toward real estate agents because that's my background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I basically, again, stealing, I read all, you know, when I was reading those hundred books, they, after a while, they started to really repeat what other people had said. So I just kind of distilled that into one brief 50 book. pages too, like yep. any real estate agent. Most real estate agents can handle 50 pages. I might start <laughs> All right. Now, when what's the book? Can we talk about the book you're working on now? The book I'm working on now doesn't really have a title, um, but it can't, it's coming out of um, an, a, a program that I developed with another one of our agents, Ryan Glass, um, when he left a he left his cushy government job and wanted to go into real estate full time. And, uh, and in the beginning, he was selling lower priced properties and his goal was to sell multimillion dollar properties. And so we developed really a gap analysis tool that breaks it up into three elements because real estate is really about skills, 
image, which is essentially marketing, and people, like the network that you have. So it's called the SIP gap. That might end up being the title, although I'm not sure. We'll have to see. But it's Feels a work in progress. Mm -hmm. We could have been talking about that all this time. Oh my God, we could do. We could talk about a thousand things, and we can have fun. Right. That's so basically filling the gap analysis, and it comes down to your skills, your image, and people. And when you do it in that order, you actually are pretty much guaranteed to get to the to the uh, the goal. And the reason is because. You develop the skills first, which is a learning process, right? And as you're developing those skills, you should be talking to people who are able to help you, like you know, wealth managers and uh, portfolio lenders and other people who are helping people at that, that higher price point. Well, you can take the information you use there and factor it right into your marketing, into your image. So you can mm -hmm. share that learning online. Go, you know, go out and visit properties that are higher priced really get to understand that market, do in-depth market analyses and share that online. You're shifting your image already. And then mm -hmm. people, once you develop that new network and you go and meet them, first thing they're going to do is Google you. And they're going to find all of this new stuff you've put in there, which is going to show that you know what you're talking about. So it's really just a three-step process to go from, you know, and, and it could be any kind of adjustment, but I would say the easiest one is from, you know, entry-level properties to higher price properties. But I love what you said. I always say to people, it's one of the biggest burdens you can have getting into real estate is your network is like, I had no network. Right. And it was the biggest okay. gift ever because I had to hold my skills to yes. create an image, to then get in front of the people at the right time. That's right. If you don't understand the skills and the image and you get in front of the people too soon. Yep. You can actually do more da damage That's than right. good because you got to get the skills. 100% because the first time they ask you a question and you say, I don't know, you've just lost the opportunity. <laughs> so uh, you, right. you really want to have done that prep work in advance. Now, last question. If there's one thing, if we forget everything from this interview and we only remember one thing, what do you hope it would be? Oh, I think the thing to keep in mind at all times is that you have control over your mindset. You have control over the soundtracks that are playing. So even if it's as simple as on that list that you have every day, like I did today, writing at the top what you want to be, you know, and at the top of my list today, it's warm and smart. Um, whether it's purposely overachieved, like Matthew Ferrara had said, or it's something else. It might even be your goal that you write at the top. You are programming yourself and you are setting your mind for the rest of the day. So I would say if you could have control over that, and maybe that should be book three is about programming. But, you know, I think if you can figure out how to program yourself, you can really end up hitting the goals that you want to get to. Oh, nice. Thank you. Absolutely. Everybody, Colleen Berry, CEO of Gibson Sotheby's International Realty. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Jerry. This has been so much fun. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. To find more episodes, search Jerry Metcalf podcast on any platform for podcasts or go to jerrymetcalfpodcast.com. That's J-E-R-E-M-E-T-C-A-L-F podcast.com.